Hello and welcome to What Moves Us, the podcast where we ask, what moves us? Or more accurately, what's going to move us in future? With the Rail Innovation Group's Johanna Randall and Liam Henderson, we look at debates, themes and decisions of the minutes that will impact on the way we get about in the future. Hello again and welcome to What Moves Us. Who are what moving us with us today? Me, I am Deb Carson. Um, hello. And two meters apart. I'm two meters away because you keep on sneezing. Oh, whatever. <laughs> how many meters? How many meters apart am I? So Johanna is up here in Pitlochry, Scotland. How many meters apart am I from London, Soho? Oh gosh, I'm not. I'm going to go with what? You must be about seven hundred kilometers away. So what would that be? Seven thousand. 7,000 metres. 7,000 metres. No. No, it's got to be. It would be more, be more than that. 100,000 kilometres. Yeah. 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 There you go. That shows how excellent our maths is, isn't it? Hey, we got there. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, nice to see you both. Uh, we have been extremely busy this autumn. We're recording this on 1st of December. It's 15.19 in the afternoon. I had my first chocolate from my advent calendar this morning, from a kinder advent calendar. It's very nice. Oh, nice. I had a mince pie. You did. Yep. I had a mince pie on Sunday. It is that season where we just start eating more. So there we go. Yes. So uh, we do have an agenda, which I'm going to run through to keep us on track, which is the events we've done this autumn. This is a bit of a catch up podcast before we obviously disappear for Christmas time. And so Christmas and then it's 22, which is obviously end of, end of 2021. Um, yeah. We'll be doing a booster, a booster newsletter soon as well. So uh, what have we been doing since we were able to do events again? We've done two events in London. So we did, we heard from Open 10 Times and Biotics about using data in unexpected ways and the outputs you get, which was very good. Then we had, um, we heard from Junction again in London and they told us about their um, Innovate UK funded project um, with regard to travel planning. And then we, well, I had a trip because someone pulled out the last minute. I had a trip to Sheffield to go visit Three Squared. So Three Squared hosted a event with Waterbrook Rail um, a few weeks ago. And we heard about, oh, I don't know if we're allowed to tell people what we have, but it was about planning freight paths and um, again, using data from the rolling stock. So lots of data, 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 data. Yes, data. disappointing lack of um, monster munch at one of the London events, I felt. But other than that, a very good set of conversations. And sadly, I couldn't be at the Sheffield event because I was one that let everyone down at the last minute by getting COVID. Where'd you get it from? I got it from my lovely, darling son. So, um, and I personally, I blame... VAR actually, because I was at an Arsenal game, we were both at an Arsenal game, and we actually scored three goals, so we hugged three times. <laughs> VAR checked two of the goals and disallowed them. So actually, if it wasn't for VAR, I might not have actually got COVID. So, uh, or I might have got COVID for the right reason, if you know what I mean. So, a case for, is that a case for doing away with VAR? Because yeah, it's I pointlessly hugged my son three times because he didn't only have COVID, he came down with it the next day. 
and uh, should have only hugged him once. That is the 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 error. That is the risk of hugging your children. I know. <laughs> I know. So, but I'm better now. Um, so yeah, if I had to check, would have been well without me. Obviously, would have been much better if I'd been there. Right. <laughs> well, busy times. Unfortunately, one of our events had to get postponed into 2022. So that was our visit to Bristol, but that should be happening on the 19th of January, hopefully, subject to nothing else changing. And we have a sense that there is a job lot of Monster Munch waiting for us there. Excellent. And I was just about to ask is there a shortage of Monster Munch? No. Because I've got quite a bit in my garage. Well, you're sorted. So I bought I bought some in preparation of lots of virtual meetings. <laughs> oh yeah, for your monster munch toasties. <laughs> for my most monster munch toasties, which I will bring when we when I come to a live event, but I don't think I'll be able to come to the January one. Because we have our Christmas meeting on the fifteenth as well. I know my problem is is I don't get back from holiday till the 9th of January I've got a whole load of first world problems um mm-hmm. 9th or 10th of January and it's all this isolation rules that have now come in you know when you come in from the I mean like the fact that I've been on a ship for six years and haven't been anywhere for, for six years for six days and wouldn't have been anywhere so the chances of me having COVID will be will be low I've still got to isolate when I get home uh, well. but but what, what but the but the really stupid thing of course is is that I can arrive in Southampton, travel all the way to Pitt Lockery, do my test, and then I have to isolate till I get my results. So in the meantime, I've I've like you know spread it all around England. You won't have spread in it because you'll be wearing your face covering as required currently as of yesterday from public transport. Well, we, well, well of course England. in Scotland we've still had to use our wear our masks. So <laughs> nothing changes in Scotland. You can show us how to wear it properly. <laughs> <laughs> We've all seen the diagrams. <laughs> anyway, so what are we talking about today? Well, actually, Johanna, you told us your exciting news. So well, let's 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 cover that off before we then go into our longer discussion. What what have you got to tell us? So having moved to Scotland and embracing all things Scottish, my my first big news is that um, I've been appointed to the um, Steering Committee Scotland of Women in Rail. So that's very exciting. So that that's happened in the last week and I've got my induction tomorrow afternoon. So that's exciting. And then my second bit of um, good news is that um, I've also been appointed to a role with the Scottish Rural and Ireland's transport community. And I'm going to be helping them out with some project management and stakeholder management because they are expanding their group. They're a very similar group to Rail Innovation Group in that they're a not-for-profit. And they're all about promoting all things about the Scottish community, improving mobility in the area. So I'm really excited about getting involved in that next year. That is exciting, especially as the Union Connectivity Review has just come out, and there's lots of stuff in there about how um, we need to be doing more to, uh, you know, connect up the two uh, nations better. Absolutely, and that's and that's double, and it's doubly exciting from from that point of view as well. <laughs> doubly exciting from that point of view as well because um, they are. Um, they do online events, virtual virtual cafes, as as they as they call them, um, and they have a bring your own cake. So we have our munch and learns with our monster munch, and they have bring your own cake. But their February event is all about 
passengers and parcels, can they be bedfellows in the rural community? So alignment with the work that we did this year. So I'm looking forward to hearing some different perspectives on that next year. And maybe we can hook up and do, do some more work on that, expanding our ideas and community on that as well. Mm, that sounds really exciting. Yeah. So Johanna, just a quick question. Is the where is the where is the geographic demise of the highlands of the group? So in terms of people that participate, it's worldwide. They get people um, joining from all over the world in their virtual cafes. But in terms of the overall community, it is basically the Scottish rural and islands. So include, it includes you know, the Orkney, Shetland, et cetera, et cetera, you know, Western Isles, the, the whole de demographic of um, geographic area of Scotland. Right. OK. Of which you're, and you're kind of well centred there, I suppose. I am. Um, Jenny Milner, who is the, um, sorry, I said Jenny Milner, it's Jen Jenny Milne, who is the founder of the group. She's in rural Aberdeenshire. And then there's various, um, there's various um, people that are based, um, who they call the musketeers, who, who they're, they're the helpers of, of the community. They're based all over Scotland and also in, in England as well. So, um, and I think um, one of the, one of the chaps is also based in America. So it is, it does have a geographic spread because in a bit like we, we're always wanting to learn from people and gather insights and that's exactly the same sort of thing. Right. Okay, well that brings us on to our first talking point, which is about communities. And we have obviously had a lot of uh, announcements this autumn. Um, the Integrated Rail Review, the HS2, well, what's called HS2 Phase 2 Confirmation, um, changes to Transport for the North, and uh, we've had railway openings in Southwest. So um, it was mainly about how do we think well that's going to affect communities but then also whether, because what we like to do is stimulate the local supply chains on micro companies. So do we think those are good things or bad things? Mm. Well, I think there's quite a lot of um, unhappiness in uh, amongst the sort of transport for the North and wider, Northern Powerhouse, Midlands, Engine Rail, um, about the curtailment of the Eastern leg of HS2 which is obviously something that has been committed to over a number of years by the government and has now been um, partly axed. So certainly for cities like Leeds, I would imagine you could quite understandably, not wanting to get terribly political on this podcast, but you can understand why someone like Leeds would feel um, pretty upset by that decision really because um, I mean I've personally been at lots of events in Leeds over the last six or seven years where government ministers have been there actively encouraging Leeds city region to <laughs> prepare for high speed to coming to their city and make sure that they take advantage of that and invest heavily in the infrastructure required for HS2 to come into Leeds so to be told suddenly that it's actually not going to come to Leeds I can imagine <laughs> that they are extremely upset um, and it's interesting to see kind of what's coming out of the transport for the north board at the moment they're kind of saying that they're basically asking the government to give them clarity on how those some of those decisions were taken you know like in terms of like you know technical kind of business case or you know the suggested upgrades and things that are in the integrated rail plan and also 
they seem to be saying that they um, that they want to kind of uh, take the government to task over sort of that technical work and also on the kind of how Northern Powerhouse Rail, you know, the, the statute, statutory advice that came from the Department of Transport yeah. in the beginning, it has been kind of um, set to one side by the Department for Transport, which is kind of an odd thing to do. So yeah, there's, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, fallout from this. I think it's going to be kind of, I mean, obviously initially there was quite a lot of, uh, of kind of very disappointed um, press about, about the uh, integrated rail plan, but um, I think it's probably going to run a lot longer as, as it kind of, as the various kind of um, bodies in the North get to grips with what actually the integrated rail plan is saying to their region. But in terms of communities, I mean, there are going to be some definite losers and some sort of, some of those kind of left behind places, as they're called, are going to be further left behind, it looks like, unless there's got some serious kind of um, uh, money, cash yeah. uh, forthcoming, you know. So it's an interesting one to look at the kind of, you know, you look at it from a rail perspective and then you look at it from the levelling up perspective, which obviously this government is, you know, massively weighed in on the levelling up and obviously put Michael Gove in charge of that. And it seems to be a big, you know, government driver, but then it's quite difficult to see how that decision on rails, you know, sort of marries up with the, uh, with what they want to, to do in terms of leveling up and not, I, I, not, <laughs> not those places. I think that's a really interesting thing to say from the leveling up and we've we've said this many times before about how there's no joined up transport strategy and there's been a lot of reports this year but none of them appear to be joined up. It still seems to be very fragmented and when you take that um, in the context of the last um, spending review and budgets with them you know subsidizing domestic aviation for um, I, I think for valid reasons but then also for again freezing the fuel accelerator it doesn't seem to be that we're taking public transport seriously or even the climate emergency seriously mm -hmm. I mean it's interesting in the union connectivity review that that, that report calls for a new strategic transport network for the whole of the UK, which is... Shouldn't know, we have had that 50 years ago? Sounds sensible, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> well, well, I think we probably do kind of have that, but it's road-based. Well... And, and that cannot be the future, can it? No, no. Well, not if... I, I, would, I would suggest not if we're going to um, meet our, our climate targets, but I think that seems to be the problem that... that, that there seems to be a lot of kind of differing plans, strategies, you know, policies within different bits of government. And really, it all needs to, you would think that being, you know, that everyone seems to have, seems to acknowledge that we are in the middle of a climate crisis. You would think that every government department should be looking through the lens of climate change for whatever policies they're looking at, whether that's housing or transport or levelling up or what have you, but that doesn't <laughs> appear to be the case at the moment. I mean, I, I, I don't know. It's not filtered through. I'd be happy to be proved wrong on that. I mean, ever since I've worked in local government for years, I, you know, before I became interested in transport and government 
back in the 80s was always accused of working in silos and um, I'm sure that's, you know I'm sure that's improved to some extent but whether it's improved enough I don't I'm, I guess I guess the thing is, I mean, we've all worked in either government or transport planning or whatever, so we understand the process and, you know, and how trade-offs have to be made. I mean, do you think in terms of the way these, and it will be interesting to see how um, the Northern powerhouse leaders challenge the decisions that have been made, is do you think that the government have effectively um, traded off the right policies in, in terms of how they've approached it? Well, I'd be, I'd be interested to see how they've looked at the impacts of the decisions, which is exactly what Transport for the North are asking them to do, I guess, is to show their show their homework, really. Um, that's what they kind of seem to be, seem to be calling for. Because yeah. to me, it seems like there are things like, you know, the, the, one of the massive arguments for that, for High Speed 2, and, and definitely for that Eastern Leg of HS2, was to free up to capacity, which provides more freight opportunities, more opportunities to get freight onto the railway. And that's that's one of the biggest kind of drivers for, you know, that's one of the biggest reasons for building, you know, high-speed line really, is that it gives that opportunity for freight to be moved off of, off of roads. And if you look at the kind of, you know, the carbon um, context of that, it's pretty significant. So, uh, yeah, I, I kind of, I don't know how, I don't, can't, can't quite see how that, that can be kind of, you know, if you're saying that, okay, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to do certain parts of that line, but you're going to do upgrades, but that's not going to give that freight opportunity. It won't, because that was part of the reason why the business case for HS2 was developed in the first place, was because you don't, can't get that release capacity from you see, that's what I don't get about cancelling that eastern leg because here, here we are, you know, in, in at the end of 2021. And does the business case still stack up for HS2 well, that, if you don't do the eastern leg? Because didn't we have a review 18 months ago that said you had to go ahead with the eastern leg? Well, the eastern leg is a, is a, is a really significant part of the business case for, for the whole of the HS2. So, again, I'm not you know, I guess in some ways that perhaps, you know, it's, it must be a bit daunting for HS2 Limited because obviously they're still trying to get phase 2A through through Parliament and that hasn't been given, that hasn't gone through Parliament yet. So they must partly be thinking, well, if, 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 I, if the Eastern Leg can be shelved, then is any of it safe? But I mean, essentially, if we ended up with a, with a line from London to Birmingham, well, that would just have been entirely wasted 50, 60 yeah. pounds, you know? So I just can't, I can't imagine that that, but it's quite hard to kind of, it's quite hard to call what, the way government decisions are going. But the commitments the, time, the other day were to take it to Manchester City Centre. Yeah, but then the commitments have always been to take it all. Yeah, no, I understand, I understand <laughs> that. that, that but all of the, I guess that is the thing is, I mean, because when you think about, you know, I mean, how long have they been going on about Northern Powerhouse? Yeah, I mean, like that started under the coalition government. So here we are 11 years later after the coalition government. Yeah, and they pretty much shelved it. But, you know, and that was in the 2019 manifesto. HS2 was in the, you know, the 2019 manifesto. All of this stuff was in the 2019 manifesto. So, you know, has the government in, in terms of, you know, and we got, yeah, I, mean, I know they'll always say, you know, pandemic has changed everything but in some ways we've got to be you know 
the pandemic has got to, you know, whilst it might be taking up all our time now, some of the things to do with public transport and levelling up will actually improve some of the outcomes from the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to jump in on something you said previously, which is about the, the need for more freight cars meant that that's why the Eastern branch was to take passenger trains onto high speed to allow space for freight on the classic rail. But the process of upgrading the classic rail instead of doing HS2 is going to mean that you have much constrained capacity for the entire period of the upgrade, um, which the thing that will have to be removed is freight. Yeah. Because that's the one that seems to be the one that you always take off to make space. And also it's going to be really disruptive. Yes. You know, super, super disruptive to people who are in the north who are already experiencing a much poorer rail service than the, the, the people that live in... Oh say London for example yeah. the other thing which I think is is interesting is that we are always accused in the UK of having really high infrastructure costs compared to other countries but the, you know the, the, the chopping and the changing of the scope of projects is one of the biggest drivers for high infrastructure costs and I mean if you think how long it's taken for this project to get through parliament piece bit by piece and you know have the Oakenby review where the whole of the sector was kind of waiting with bated breath you know to see whether the project was going to go ahead at all or be shelved you know this constant chopping and changing is what drives high infrastructure costs in in this country so have, have, have yeah. those costs now baked in the uh government the additional government uh stimulus whatever for all the supply chain problems then they said well that will lead to a higher wage economy because there's less unskilled labor coming in so you pay domestic people more money which is going to have a knock-on impact upon the cost of construction for hs2 or other rail upgrades because everywhere down the supply chain the government is telling employers to pay more money does it yet realize that it's going to have to pay more money for its contracts um you'd have You'd hope so, because I think I mean, I, for anybody who's thinking about domestic projects at the moment, um, I've been informed by architects that you can assume that there's there's a 20 percent extra cost involved um, because it's not just the um, the additional wages, which, you know, related to um, that we don't have the same ready supply of labour that we had um, two or three years ago. Um, but it's also the cost of, um, yeah, which is you know, a wider a wider global issue, the cost of, um, of importing um, yes. materials as well, because everything's costing more because of the supply chain problems. But of course, that's all good, isn't it? Except when you have to pay for it. Steering you away from politics, I wanted to ask you another question, pose <laughs> another question, which is, the government is, the, sorry, the HS2 and Integrated Rail Plan seem to, to me, point a big long mainline, HS2 mainline from London to Manchester, up the west coast of the country, and a little branch sticking to Nottingham, or the East Midlands, uh, and basically abandoning the East Midlands, the Upper East Midlands, and the North East, so Leeds in particular. Has the government now just said that the dynamic part of our economy is London to Manchester, and sort of abandoned Leeds and Sheffield? And if you are a small company... If you're a small company, you have to get a tram. If you're a small company, <laughs> surely you'd now set up on this Western Arch, which is the, clearly the priority arc, priority arc for our country, is London, Birmingham, Manchester. Hmm. Well, I mean, that's not what Grant Shapp said when he announced it. <laughs> <laughs> but just look at that, you can see where they're see, putting see, money. 
but you see it's interesting you see that 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 kind of questions it and, and the population and everything like that because i think on the day the um the announcement on the northern powerhouse um, came out i heard an interview and that on um the today program i think it was where somebody was saying that these population areas are not insignificant areas yeah and you know and i and i wondered when you know when we talking about it, you say you know like you know they have to get a tram whatever and we've, we've just got branch lines and things as that is that you know is is the rest of the country actually paying for um the delays to crossrail oh. mm. You know, so is London yet again sucking out, you know, all of the investment and because of all the problems with, you know, Crossrail and everything, that's also playing into the dynamic of the decisions? Oh, I don't know. I, I actually don't know any back. I don't know enough background to say whether I agree with that or not. I don't know. Not, it's just uh, you know in terms of you know what what it blights us but i think you know in terms of you know, what does it what does it mean to the supply chain i mean i have, have lots of people been you know expand you know expanding their operations and setting up along the eastern corridor in preparation for being able to supply hs2 to being able to supply new services along that route and will that now all be sucked out and all and everybody will move to to the west west coast i think it's saying if you want to invest in a business invest in the west coast because you will have fast new infrastructure certainly if you're planning on moving to the east midlands hub then that's a bit that's now abandoned but it's also, as a, I guess there's also a bigger sort of question because, you know, partly you could say that because of COVID, people's travel patterns have changed, people aren't commuting as much, uh, you know, people don't necessarily need a, a, a fantastically fast service perhaps because they might only need to go to the office once a week or what have you, or not at all, or, you know, what have you. These are the arguments that seem to be being made. I'm not sure if I entirely agree that everyone is going to stay in the office, although, you know, this the COVID thing seems to be, uh, you know, a gift that keeps on giving. So who knows? You know, we've got all these different variants happening now, so it might be that we never end up coming out of anything other than the mm -hmm. kind of world that we're in now. I mean, I hope, I hope not, but you know what I mean. I'm but I think, you know... It's an interesting one, isn't it? It's like the building a business case for whatever, whether it's a new railway line or, you know, upgrading existing or what have you, you know, it's very much predicated on the kind of usage, isn't it? Like how many passages can you get? And it's like, or have you got sort of thing? So it's like chicken and egg, isn't it now? It's like, what, what does that mean? Does that mean that certain, certain places now where, where, where there's a lot, lot less passengers than there were, do, do, you know, is the government going to just think, well, nobody's getting on that line now, then it doesn't matter, does it? You know, we won't worry sort of thing. But you see, that's interesting in itself. Yeah, because because over, overall, surely what we should be doing is encouraging people to use mass forms of transport that are more sustainable, right? So if we're doing that, then that does surely impact on the way that we should be looking at making the case for transport as a whole kind of thing. But Do you know what I mean? I, like taking a, lead, I, taking a, lead, a leadership role in that and saying, rather than sort of sitting back and thinking, well, we'll kind of build this on a, on a, on a need, we're, we, we should be encouraging people back onto the, onto the railway. Or whatever, I think, you know, trans, I think you're multimodal um, transport modes. I think you're absolutely right in terms of you know 
about encouraging people it needs to go wider than what has been done so far but I think that's probably because there's probably a bit of nervousness around the gift that still keeps on giving um but I also what I because I was at a, 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 a railway in um industry association event last week and the thing that that struck me is that at the moment everyone's still trying to work out where is this going and what's happening and I think yeah there's there's this transition that everyone's finding difficult difficulty in making um in the fact that we still we're still looking at transport through the lens of a commuter or a business traveler yeah and I think Liam you you you'll know more about this because of the, the work you've been doing is that about the growth in leisure and what actually that means for planning services mm, exactly and that's I mean that's one of the things HST was not supposed to be um a commuter line was it it really it's supposed to be freeing up capacity for commuters on the other on other lines sorry Liam true well now you've got the thing of the long distance commuting is if it is true that lots of people are leaving big cities to live in the countryside they end up commuting longer mm. and those less. places less but longer <laughs> and those places just, with fast yeah but the thing is that it prioritizes places with fast connections back to the cities so if you happen to have a stop on a main line in the middle of nowhere I'm just literally going to make somewhere up, like Oxenholm, which is on the you west. You don't need to. I'm in, I'm in it. Pitlockery. Fine. <laughs> but that means those places will not be left behind because they will commuters, people will start moving to those places knowing that they've got that good link. Mm. They won't be going to the places that have three changes and a branch line. Mm. No. But, uh, in regard to leisure travel, yes. So we did a conference. We were in... Um, oh, my God. Forget. We're in Vienna. Vienna. I was thinking because it should have been in Rome, and Rome got cancelled as well. Uh, in Vienna, I was saying yes, leisure is an important thing now, but all the research that operators do just lumps leisure as just one type of travel. In reality, there's whole subsections of leisure, and if you wanted to expand your market, you need to understand all of those little pockets of leisure travel, mm. whether it's days out, going on holiday, going to the airport, all of those things. Um, and which are which are optional journeys which you're doing which you're combining with other things but that none of that research has been done sufficiently for you to be able to predict what's going to happen hs1 did quite an interesting piece of research on leisure travel when the, a few years ago with Cape county council because i mean they've proven that the economic benefits to all of those because obviously that that line goes down to the south coast to a lot of places where people would you know, might want to go travel for a day trip or a short holiday or what have you, Margate, Ramsgate, Forbes. Uh, in Rochester. Places. Yeah, in Rochester. So, you know, there is there is some evidence about around that, but I mean, obviously that was, that's pre-COVID and that, I mean, notionally, we're being told that people are travelling more in domestically, you know, for leisure purposes on trains because a lot of people are not wanting to go abroad because they can't be bothered with the hassle of, you know, not knowing whether they're going to have to isolate or get there or be, get a trip be cancelled and all that kind of thing so I mean I'm well the, the, there's all of that and I think um on a, in terms of the work I think there's still a lot of the the more global corporate businesses I think they're still very nervous about bringing people back into the office on a on a on a big scale you know I mean like, I think it's very much about hybrid working you know if you you know if you need to come in to do a specific something with your team or whatever come in but we don't ex we still don't expect people to be in every day yeah yeah and i think you know and i think you know given the new 
the the new variant i think that advice could change again in the next couple of weeks we shall see yes we so shall see. in this environment where there's so much uncertainty um and indeed rail operators are currently operating quite under quite so quite a lot of direction from the department of transport for example is for so i've certainly been hearing from our community of they are struggling to work out who on earth has decision-making authority at the minute and where they're supposed to go to take their wares to try and sell them um do we think this is a long-term problem because for example when we are asked we end you you can apply for a government competition within about uk you can talk to you can talk to narrow rail but talking to anyone else the decision's got to go to the department of transport to spend any money so where should our small companies be going just just listening to you saying about that i mean i i don't i mean like my view is actually that innovation is kind of frozen right. and if you're if you are a startup looking for a place for to sell your product at the moment it isn't it is incredibly difficult because i think uncertainty is adding to a problem that was there before yeah, so it was always it was always difficult finding the right person to talk to or the right person to pitch to or whatever. But I think nobody wants to do anything now because you know because this you know because the pandemic's been going on a long time. There's lots of flux in the industry. There's everyone. I mean, if you're a small business or a startup, how on earth are you going to make out what all these new policy changes are? Yeah, they're not. They haven't got you know hundreds of people helping them wade their way through it. So if you're a startup what do you do how do you get help because i don't think it's there at the moment no no well it certainly has done nothing for confidence in the sector having to wait 18 months for the integrated rail plan to come out for example you know yeah. and and whilst all of this you know whilst you've got challenges everyone trying to process it and also new legislation mm. what does that mean for next year what does it mean for the year after because we could be in this um stasis i guess for two or three years while everyone's trying to work out what this means and where it's going yeah yeah <laughs> just laughing because i'm looking at the agenda the speaking points i've got and i've got the last one was let's not all be negative but the one thing i would say is that um i would say that probably if you want to do something do it in scotland or wales <laughs> and the reason why why i say that is because probably well apart from the fact that i'm in scotland so of course it's brilliant now um is this i think because you've got um because they scotland are obviously ramping up for um the franchise moving back into um into government control so they're a lot more integrated so i think it's probably easier to find the person you need to speak to because i think the position is more certain and settled and i think they've got ambitions to do things and i think that you've got the same thing with wales as well is because they've already integrated and i think transport for wales have more control over the whole picture 
So that's so so that would be my positive. And I guess from that sense as well as you can also probably learn maybe from a bit from the metros and that. But I think, you know, funding is pro more problematic for the English metro system as, you know, not wishing to be negative again, but we're all seeing sort of like the news with TfL. And I know a lot of that is politicking, but it's not looking very good for TfL, is it? So, so that was so if you want to do business i'd say go to wales or scotland because you might have an, 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 an obviously transport for wales have just launched their new accelerator again but i haven't seen anything come up about doing it for for transport in particular i've not seen anything coming out in terms of innovate uk yet and i don't know where, whether they're doing their first of a kind competition or thing because obviously they've also um, merged with the ktn and i think there's more reshuffling going on around the catapults as well so I think there is lots to be positive, but it's all uncertain and there's still lots of stuff that needs to come out and settle down again. Right. Yeah, agreed. Last words from Deb? Last words from me. Um, well, I think that um, I'm hopeful that there will be some sense of urgency to the need for, you know, from government, I mean, to the need for um, clarity around some of the stuff you need to go to our plan, which isn't particularly clear. So I'm hopeful that that will happen because, you know, in part, the reason that the, the, the kind of reasons that the government gave, sort of shelving part of, of what they did, was to accelerate the benefit, you know, the certain areas getting the benefits earlier than they would have done, you know. So for that to actually be the case, there do need to, there does need to be some urgency around how that's going to work and where the money's going to come from and you know how quickly that's all going to happen. So I'm kind of a sort of steadfastly hopeful that 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 will be the case and i hope that you know we don't end up going back into some kind of horrible lockdown where people again are not getting not using public transport and what have you because that certainly doesn't help does it no, you, know, you know so um my hope is for that and obviously world peace so yeah that's it oh and there's that your phone's ringing and that's my phone ringing so <laughs> so liam you've got to say what you wish for uh, uh, unlimited mince pies, just generally that. Uncertainty. It's I'd already written certainty, so uh, certainty in the industry. Anyway, Deb has left us. You have to leave us. So, well, we did that record time. Merry Christmas and see you in 2022. Oh, yeah. Wow. So soon. All right, then. ta -ra. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Bye. <laughs>